Well, good morning. If you have a Bible, you can open it up to Matthew. We're going to spend the next three weeks reviewing our vision, mission, core practices as a church. Um, and then we're going to dig into the Psalms for really most of the school year. We'll kind of focus on Christmas a little bit of December. Um, but we'll really dig into the Psalms for the rest of uh, this school year. This morning, we're focusing on our vision statement, is what we call it at the, at the church. It's kind of the view from 50,000 feet, right? Like, like why are we here? Um, so you'll see in the art, we've, we've got gears. Uh, and so what we're trying to uh, connote here is we're, we're kind of opening the hood for you to see the church. You know, like, what's, what's in the engine? What are the, what are the main things that we feel like God's called us to do? What are we about as a church? We'll focus on that the next three weeks. Uh, one of the joys that we have as a church is being in Colleen, Texas, we're a new church every year. So it's kind of like we're replanted every year because we have so many new people that come in, which we love and it's exciting, but we, that's why we focus this three weeks every year on also kind of re-saying, rethinking, re-praying through, okay, God, who are we? What, what have you called us to do here as a church? And so that's what we're focusing on today. The vision statement today, we're summarizing it just with the statement, multiply. Saying God's called us to multiply. We're going to look at the Great Commission, which is found at the very end of Matthew. So if you want to open to Matthew 28, you'll find it there. And if you don't have a Bible and want to grab one of the black Bibles you see under the chairs, it'll be on page 835 in those black Bibles. Matthew chapter 28, the context here is that Jesus has now conquered death. He's risen from the grave. His disciples thought he was going to just turn over the Pharisees, you know, and set up a new kingdom, a new priesthood, a new administration. They thought he was going to fight off the Romans, but he did something far bigger, far greater. He, he defeated death. He defeated the, the bigger issue, sin and death. So Jesus has risen from the dead. He's been hanging out with the disciples. He's been talking to them, and he gives them now final, final words. Uh, in the past, we, we said our vision statement this way. We said that our vision statement... Uh, what we felt God called us to was world domination, right? World domination. We decided that wasn't politically correct enough, so we've kind of modified it over the years. Um, it was world domination with the peace and love of Jesus. Now, we say it this way. If you look on our website, it says, Grace Bible Church exists to glorify God by multiplying followers of Christ among every people group. We're just trying to translate this text that we're about to read here, Matthew 28, that's the command he's given us, make disciples, make followers of Christ among every nation, among every people group. And so that's our call, that's our challenge. Um, we're going to read Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20 here, so if you'll follow along with me, it says in Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So he'd given them some instructions. We're going to have a final meetup at this mountain. Verse 17, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. This is really important because this addresses who we are here as a gathering, right? We're here. We just spent some time in worship, worshiping Jesus. They worshipped him, but some doubted. There's some of you here that doubt. We're glad you're here. Like we, we want to welcome you. We want you to feel welcome. Some of us are worshiping Jesus. Some of us are doubting. Some of us are not so sure. And I just want you to see that that, that was the same back then. Same back then as it is now. Some of us are sure that Jesus is our hope. Some of us are not so sure. We're asking questions, and we want you to know you're welcome here, and we'd love to talk to you more about it. 
Verse 18 says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Saying he's, he's in charge. He is sovereign. He is king. He has conquered death. So in verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. The, the primary command, the imperative verb in this string of lots of verbs and adverbs and participles is make disciples. Uh, the word disciple, we usually think of it as a noun, right? A follower of Christ, a student, a disciple. But it's also can, it can also, in Greek, be a, a verb. And here it's a, it's a command. So it's like, go discipleize, right? Go make disciples. So we translate that, again, in our vision statement, we translate that as multiply followers, uh, followers of Christ. Go make more followers of Christ. Follow Christ yourself and encourage others to follow Christ. We'll, we'll break this down and we'll look at the different ways then that Jesus tells us how to do this. Let me pray for us and, and we'll spend some more time here in the text. God, we pray that you would teach us this morning. We pray that you would lead us. Uh, God, for many here that have grown up in church, this is a, a familiar text. They've heard this before. So God, for those of us that have heard it before, we pray that you'd challenge us by your spirit to obey what we already know. Uh, for those of us that are not sure that this may be new or we may be doubting who you are, God, I ask that you would give us open hearts. You'd help us to be open-minded that we would consider you, consider who you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So a great book on discipleship called Gospel-Centered Discipleship. A friend of mine in Austin as a pastor of a church there wrote this book called Gospel-Centered Discipleship. Um, so it's a great book that kind of defines what discipleship looks like and how that works. Um, and he defines a disciple from three different angles. And what you'll recognize is that kind of different churches, different tribes, different people focus on one of those more than the other. And so what he says is it's important to remember that all three of these aspects are part of what it means to be a follower of Christ, to be a disciple. He says there's a, a missional aspect, a relational aspect, and a rational aspect, right? So disciples, uh, to be a disciple is to be a part of family. It's relational, right? So those of you that are community people, you're going to tend to say, yeah, that's discipleship. It's all about community. And then there's some people that are learners, you're attracted here maybe because we actually teach the Bible at this church, right? And so for you, you're going to lean towards saying discipleship is all about study. That's what discipleship is, and that's an aspect. There's the rational aspect. There's the relational family aspect, and then there's the missional aspect. Some of you are doers, right? You want to go save the world. You want to help the poor. You want to share the gospel with people that haven't heard it, and so that's the missional aspect. All three of those are important. And we'll see all three of those aspects as we look at what Jesus has said about how do we make disciples? How does this take place? I wanted to start with just my experience from the last couple of days. I've been participating in the Rachel's Vineyard Retreat that Hope, uh, Hope Pregnancy Center puts on. And what this is is basically a retreat uh, to help minister to women who have been through an abortion and are now dealing with the, the post-traumatic stress, the grief, and the guilt of an abortion and trying to recover through that. So what we do is, is basically spend time with these ladies in prayer uh, and in sessions together, uh, re-presenting Jesus to them, helping them see this 
Jesus who loves us, who died for our sins, who forgives us, who heals us, who accepts us because of what he's done. And I was struck by how deeply these women, through this experience, have come to love Jesus at a, at a deeper, deeper level. Coming through a horrific event, you know, our, our culture tells us that abortion's no big deal, it's, you know, it's nothing, but then for, for women that go through that later on, they're, they're, they're hurting. I mean, they're dying inside because of what has happened. And so we, we try to bring Jesus to them in that situation and help them to recover, help them to find hope, help them to find healing. And, and in this process, they share their story. And we heard, we hear, this is the second retreat I've, I've done like this. We, we hear some horrendous stories of, of abuse, um, of sin, of brokenness, of just chaos, of, of growing up in, in families that were just a nightmare. Um, and, and through that process, these women are taking the risk of, of sharing you know, the hurt and the pain and the secrets of, of all the brokenness that has happened in their life. And right before I left, I, I challenged the women to keep going because what can happen is we, we can come through this experience, we can really get this vision that God loves us. He's seen all our junk. He's seen how, how terrible we are. The things that we thought we could never share, we share and we recognize the forgiveness that Jesus offers us. But then we stop because we go back to the, the real world, right? We go back to the real world where we can't share our stuff, where we have to hide it, where we have to deny that we ever did anything wrong. We have to lie about who we are. We have to wear a mask. And what I challenged them with is that historically, both throughout church history and biblically, when we read the New Testament, revival breaks out. Ministry takes place when real people are vulnerable and share their mistakes and share their pain and share that they're trusting in Jesus to be the solution to those problems. That's when real ministry takes place. And so my charge to them is my charge to us now that our, our job is to be real about our brokenness and to trust Jesus to be the answer to that brokenness. I mean, that at its root is what it means to be a follower of Christ. I'm going to give you some details here as, as we go through the text. There's some specifics that Jesus calls us to along the way. But don't forget at the root level, it's we're all sinners coming before God saying, I'm broken. Jesus, will you help me? Will you heal me? Will you save me? That at the root is what it means to be a follower of Christ. That's what it means to be a disciple. And our, our goal, our job then is to multiply that, is to spread that. The first thing that Jesus says is that we should spread that by going. We should multiply by going. So I said earlier that make disciples or multiply followers of Christ, right? There's that one central command in the text. There's, there's one command, one imperative verb. It says make disciples, multiply followers of Christ. And then there's a lot of participles. A, a participle is like the I-N-G words, right? And so um, the participles are, are going, baptizing, and teaching. So if you, if you break down the grammar of the text, he's saying make disciples, multiply followers of Christ, and do that by going, by baptizing, by teaching. So the first thing he says, if you look at verse uh, 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Um, so really, if you were to be super literal about it, you would translate it, make disciples while going, while baptizing, while teaching. And that's, so this, that's the how, right? The participles give us the how. So we're, we're going to multiply by going. Going is going to be a part of making disciples. 
going. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. This word, all nations, it's a Greek word, ta ethne, and basically it means uh, ethno-linguistic groups, right? Kind of tribes is what it means. So don't think of like gigantic nation states like, you know, America, where a conglomeration of multiple tribes, multiple people groups, um, but think more of the individual people groups. Jesus wants us to make disciples, to multiply followers among every different people group, every different people group. So we have the great joy of, of being a church that has a lot of different people groups in it. And we also, as a church, we, we push 10% of our general income back out to trying to reach other people groups across the world, right? We partner with people that want to bring Jesus to other nations, to other people groups, to other tribes. And so we think at the, at the bottom level, that's what it means to make disciples, to multiply followers of Christ while going. It means going to other people, going to other places, right? So when you hear going, maybe the first thing you might think of is, is this. I've got a picture of an airplane. This is uh, either Jim Elliott or Steve Saint. They worked together. can't remember which one this is, but they're famous missionaries who were killed by the Alka Indians. Um, there's been you know, books written and movies made about them. And so they gave their lives going to another tribe, going to another people group. So a lot of you probably think, well, yeah, Dave, that's why I'm not going, right? Um, But I I think obviously it does mean going to all the nations, going to the ends of the earth and other other places. The Great Commission says, go to the ends of the earth, go to all these nations, right? But it also can mean at just its basic level while going, while going about your business, while going from here to there. So, So another way you could think about going is this picture. I have a picture here of Someone just peering over their cubicle, right? That, that's at the smaller level of going. God is going to challenge you. For some of you, you just need to be pushed outside of your little comfort zone. You, you just need to go to the next person. Remember, this is, this is a part of simply saying, make disciples while going. You're going to go to the store. You're going to go across the street. Hopefully, you'll meet your neighbors. Hopefully, you'll make friends with your kids' teachers. I mean, while going multiply followers of Christ. So I want to help you to understand that, yes, the church is commanded to go everywhere, but this command also assumes that you're going to go about your normal business. You're going to go from here to there. You're going to meet this person. You're going to meet that person. I have another picture of, of kind of the uh, this great stock footage, you know, the perfectly beautiful, different colors, you know, meeting your neighbors. It's going to be this happy, beautiful picture when you go to meet your neighbors, Right. It's just going to be awesome all the time. But those are these, these kind of pictures or images of we're to go. We're to go to the people next door. We are to have picnics with our friends. We are to go meet people at school. We are to go meet the other families that have kids on our kids' soccer team, right? There's just these normal ways that we go. There's normal things that we do in life. We're called to go. We're called to go to others. And we bring Jesus with us wherever we go. Right? That's the promise he gives at the end. I'll, I'll be with you till the very end of the age. He's going with us. If we're followers of Christ, we take Jesus with us wherever we go. And so part of how we communicate Jesus to others is we're willing to enter into their world. It may mean learning a new language and going to a tribe you know, in the Amazon jungle. It might just mean going next door and making friends. Right? But God calls us to go. He calls us to go. What's interesting is that In the book of Acts, if you read the book of Acts, 
Jesus told them to, to go reach all the nations. And then they just kind of hung out in Jerusalem for a while until persecution broke out. And then when persecution broke out, they had to go. And then they took Jesus with them wherever they went. So, so sometimes God will lead us even when we're not ready to go, right? Sometimes he'll take us places we weren't expecting to go. But Christians are always goers. Christians are always people that while going, take Jesus with them and share Jesus with other people. And we're called to share Jesus with people that aren't like us. So I think one of the things that are really important for us to understand is that if we're going to do that, we need to become good listeners. We need to actually care about other people and understand where they're coming from. If you want to communicate Jesus to someone that doesn't have the same uh, assumptions that you do, that doesn't have the same worldview that you have, that doesn't see the world that way that you see it, is you need to understand then how they see it. You need to understand how they see it so that you can communicate the gospel so that you can communicate Jesus into their language, into their understanding. So it's really important. Christians have a bad rap for this, especially in America, for speaking first and listening later. We need to reverse that. We need to listen first and speak later. We need to earn the right to be heard. We need to understand how people think. We need to show compassion. We need to show love. We need to be good listeners. And then the other side of that, once we've done that, we we do need to be willing to challenge people's worldviews. We, we don't need to be ashamed, right? Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God for salvation for every man, for every tribe, no matter what. It's the same power, no matter where you come from. So if you're trusting in relationships for your salvation, we need to be willing to challenge our friends that are just trusting in the next girlfriend or boyfriend and say, you know what? Jesus is really the answer, not, not another boyfriend. If we're just trusting in money for salvation, we need to be willing to challenge that worldview and say, you know what? I mean, retirement's nice, but that's ultimately not going to save you. You need, you need Jesus. And so we need to be willing to also take that step and challenge people's worldviews. The, the next thing that Jesus points out is that we should multiply followers. We should make disciples by baptizing. So we're going to be going. We're also going to be baptizing. What, what does baptizing mean um, I'm going to give you three images of how the word is used in the first century. Um, at its most basic, I think it's a washing word. Baptism means washing. So throughout the history of the church, I think the church is focused on this, and that's why the church often uses um, sprinkling imagery that comes out of the Old Testament, pouring uh, imagery, uh, and also in our tradition, more dunking, right? We, we go for the full bath, right? So, um, so, but it's got, at its basic level, this kind of washing imagery, Baptism also communicates uh, death and resurrection. So I have here a picture of people lowering a casket into the ground. In Colossians, it says we were buried with Christ in baptism and rise to new life with him. And so there's the death imagery. Throughout the scriptures, think of the flood, right? Think of Moses being pulled out of the water in the Nile. So water and going into the waters of baptism, is a, it's a death imagery. It's a passing through death into new life. So baptism also symbolizes that, symbolizes the washing that we need to wash away our sins. It symbolizes that the old us has to die with Christ and there has to be a new resurrection with him. And then the final imagery is dying. I don't know if you can tell this from the picture, but these are uh, different uh, pieces of cloth that have been dyed a different color. So in the first century, baptism was also a word that would have been used for dipping a cloth into dye and it takes on a new identity, right? And so baptism also has this connotation of the new identity. We were 
we were, you know, green and now we're yellow or whatever. You know, there's this transformation that takes place when you're dyeing textiles. And so baptism holds that meaning and that symbolism also. It says here that we should baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's uh, the work, the promise of a God who created all things. The work of a Son, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins and rose from the grave to conquer sin. The transformation of a Holy Spirit who comes to indwell us and to, to remake us. We're washed. We're reborn. We have a new identity through the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working together to transform us in our life. And so baptism is that imagery of changing from an old tribe to a new tribe. Right? Christians always communicate that you're not saved by the family you're born in. You're saved by adoption by Jesus. So we're born in one tribe. We're adopted into the tribe of Jesus. We're adopted into his family. And so as Jonathan Dodson describes discipleship being uh, not just missional and rational, but also relational, it's joining a new family. That's what we have here. And so when I look out at your faces, I see faces that are different shapes and different colors, and you come from different parts of the country and different races and different tribes, but we're all part of the one tribe of Jesus. We're all part of the one family of God. So we've joined a new family. There's the idea of community. I also want to challenge you with that image. You've got to uh, give up on your old life, trust Jesus for new life, baptism, but it's also joining a new family. You're a part of a community. And so I want to challenge you to not just trust God and it's between me and God, but also begin to live as family with other Christians. And that's the harder work, especially for us as Americans, because we're individuals. We like to do our own thing. That's really a lot of the hard work of Christianity in America, is no longer living as individualists, but beginning to live in the family of God. And so I challenge you, do you have people that you can consider brothers and sisters in Christ that actually know your stuff? That actually would challenge you if you're doing something stupid? That would pray for you if you're hurting? That would cry with you when your heart is broken? Do you have any people like that in your life? I challenge you that that's part of what baptism means is is joining the family of God, being connected with other believers. As we said before, we have a baptism coming up September 11th. If, If you've never been baptized, this is the way that Christians externally mark themselves to show I belong to Jesus. We believe that ultimately we belong to Jesus by faith in what Jesus has accomplished for us. That's what Romans makes so clear. That's what Galatians makes so clear. There's nothing we can add to that. But then we're baptized publicly to show on the outside what's true on the inside. Jesus has washed away our sins, so we want to demonstrate that through the drama of baptism. We've died with Christ and rose again to new life in him by faith in him, so we want to demonstrate that through the drama of baptism. We've left our old tribe and we've joined the family of God. We want to demonstrate that through baptism. So I challenge you to take that step. If, if you believe, if you're trusting him, but you haven't shown that to others, I challenge you to do that. Take that step of obedience. The next thing that he shows us is that we multiply by teaching, right? So he says, we go, we're going and making disciples. He says, we're baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Teaching them to observe all that I've 
commanded you. So we've got the missional aspect of a disciple. We're goers. We are to reach out to people. We've got the relational aspect of being a disciple. We're a part of a new family. We've left our old tribe. We've joined the new tribe. And then now we've got the rational side of being a disciple. Uh, Bible is our middle name, right? So we're a Bible church, and so we value this, right? We actually are going to teach the Bible here every week. When you gather in communities to pray with each other and cry with each other, we're also going to guide those communities with Scripture. There's going to be Bible that's going to be a skeleton for those small groups or classes that you join here at this church. So there's a rational element. There is something to be learned. At its base level, a disciple is a student. We're a student of God's Word. Not just God's Word like in the abstract, out there, stuff to learn, but the God of the universe has has spoken to us. And we want to listen and understand what he has told us. So we want to learn his word. We want to memorize scripture. We, we want you to read the Bible for yourself. We want you to sing songs that are uh, full of scripture because we want you to learn his word. We want you to understand and be taught. I think for a lot of us, when we hear the word teaching, you might imagine this picture here. I have a picture of a, a very bored student in a large lecture hall. I went to Texas A&M uh, so I've lived that in, in some very big classes. I would challenge you to say, really, uh, teaching doesn't, shouldn't be boring like that. It should be exciting because we're, we're learning to understand what, what God would have for us, the, the new life that he has for us. I have a picture here of a, of a coach demonstrating steps for a football player. Um, teaching doesn't just mean proclamation, but it also means demonstrating, showing people how to live. That, that's a part of what teaching means. We, we want people to see. And I want to I challenge you that, uh, you know, I get to do public teaching here at the church. One of my gifts is teaching, so I spend a lot of time on teaching, and that may not be your gift, but I would challenge you that all Christians are teaching, right? You're, you're teaching by how you live. All Christians are demonstrating what it means to be a follower of Christ. And so my challenge for you is not whether or not you're teaching, right? You, you may think, oh, I'm not a teacher. He's not talking to me. I don't teach Sunday school. I don't preach. Well, no, we are all teaching. You're all teaching something. My question is, what are you teaching? What are you teaching with your life? What are you teaching people about Jesus? What are you teaching people about what it means to walk with him, to follow him, to learn from him, to listen to him, to trust him more than these other false gods that the culture has to offer? So remember that, you're demonstrating, you're, you're stepping through in front of people, this is what it means to follow Christ. When you take the name of Christian, you say, I'm a Christian, and now I'm, I'm following him, and people are watching you. People are saying, okay, this is what a Christian is. Now, I challenge you that there are kind of two opposite things here at play, um, kind of two tensions in our life as we recognize that we're demonstrating things to people. Uh, one of them is you'll want to be a good example, right? I mean, that's basic Please be a good example, right? Don't, don't shame the name of Grace Bible Church by saying, ah, it doesn't matter what we do. We can do whatever, you know. Try to pursue Jesus and model following him. But another extreme is people need to see your need, right? People need to see you depending on him. And so if people only see the shined up, cleaned up version of you, they may not understand that you're a sinner in need of a savior just like they are. So allow people to peer into that part of your life. Allow people to see your neediness. Allow people to see your brokenness. Don't just present the cleaned up, shiny version of yourself. But be real with people, 
right? Again, these are, these are tensions. Don't be so real that you shame the name of Christ because you don't care how you live. But also don't be so fake that nobody sees the real you. We need to live in that tension and allow people to, to see us following Jesus. That's the challenge for us. So teach through what we do, how we live. It's important to remember, too, that biblically, the word teaching means to um, really to make someone learn. So I have a picture here of happy students doing their homework. Teaching's not just the lecture, right? Teaching is the learning part. And so we want to help people. We want to walk side by side. We want to help them figure it out. We want to be in the trenches with each other. That's part of why we talk about the whole community thing of praying for each other and walking through life with each other. We're, we're helping each other learn about Jesus. We're helping each other follow Jesus. So remember, teaching is, is not just the declaring of facts. Too often that's how we see it in our culture. That, that's not what teaching means. Teaching also means to help people to live in line with those facts, to reorder their life and their worldview to walk beside people in the process. I think at its bottom line, teaching means repenting. Its bottom line, teaching means repenting. That's why I wanted to share with you the, just the story of the time I'd spent with these ladies the last couple of days at the Rachel's Vineyard retreat. I, I learned from them. I, I, I've not lived through all of the abuse and horrors that they have lived through, but I learned from them as I see them trusting Jesus in the midst of incredible brokenness. They're, they're teaching me in their willingness to be open about their hurt and their pain and their dependence on Jesus through that pain. I want to challenge you that that's one of the most incredible ways that we will teach people is that we, we lead in repentance. We show them our need to, to change and entrust ourselves to Jesus. Jesus wraps up the whole thing Talking about multiplying followers of Christ, making disciples. He wraps the whole thing up, uh, the last half of verse 20. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Behold, look, pay attention, check this out. I'm going to be with you to, to the very end of the age. You're not going to be by yourself. The way he says it in John 14 is, I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm sending the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, to be with you. He's going to walk beside you. He's going to empower you. So the vision is conquer the world. World domination with the peace and love of Jesus. It's this huge, huge order, right? It's this big thing. He, he wants us to spread the love of Jesus everywhere we go. And it's an impossible task, but he says, I'm going to be with you, so it's not impossible. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to walk beside you. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you do walk with us, that you go with us, that we belong to you. We thank you for the adoption we have as your sons and daughters that you haven't left us as orphans. Thank you. We pray that you would empower us to obey you, to glorify you as we obey your commission. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd love to meet any of you that I haven't met yet, or if you have any questions even about what we talked about this morning, I'll, I'll be up front and would love to chat with you. God bless you. You may be dismissed.